Welcome to Lynn Cullen Live, talk radio without the static. Email your questions and comments to lynn at pghcitypaper.com. And now your host, Lynn Cullen. Hey, how you doing? Welcome to the show on a uh, pretty big news day, I'd say. And I ain't thinking of you know who in uh, Hanoi. Um, I, I have to tell you, we have a guest coming in in the second half hour. I'm also going to assume that knowing my audience, if you're listening to this at all, you're listening later <laughs> because you're, you're watching the uh, Michael Cohen. I don't know. I mean, I, I don't pretend to know. Uh, but we got a great guest. And in fact, Amy had to come just literally seconds ago and, and drag me back here, reminding me I had a show I had to start because I was talking uh, to the guest, Sarah Kosar, who's... Uh, a, a playwright, an English playwright, although she was born and raised in Butler, Pennsylvania. <laughs> Go figure, but interesting stuff. So stay tuned for that, a little respite from the, the usual, uh, oh God, what's going on? So, I mean, actually, you don't have to watch the first part of the hearing because the first part of the hearing will be uh, Cohen giving his uh, statement which uh, you f might have right in front of you <laughs> since it was released to um, the media, um, I imagine, last, last night. Um, and it is, uh, covers all the, all the things you would have uh, wanted, I guess, uh, Michael Cohen to, to talk about. And uh, the thing that tickles me the most is Trump being over there in Hanoi. And make no mistake, he's in Hanoi. This was scheduled to get away from exactly this kind of, of thing. This is a, a grand attempt to distract, and yet you can see media is... and people's interest is focused more on on Cohen's testimony. Nothing could enrage Donald Trump more than the spotlight being taken from him, right? Think of think of what would anger him, drive him crazier than being upstaged and then on top of it being upstaged by his lackey, his ex-lackey, Michael Cohen. Trump today, I can't even imagine, uh, I can't imagine inside his head. We'll be lucky if he doesn't uh, make uh, the United States somehow a, uh, a, uh, a vassal to uh, North Korea. <laughs> <laughs> in an effort to uh, to trump uh, Cohen uh, to in terms of attention today, and I I, I mean I'm sure that people who uh, very sober types uh, who work in national security, I am quite sure that they are truly fearful of that. Uh, you know all you know goofy smiles and, you know, delight and schadenfreude aside, the fact of the matter is, 
what's going on in Hanoi and the damage that Trump could do in an effort to uh, get that spotlight back will have maybe, I would imagine, longer-term consequences potentially to uh, the security of the United States than uh, Michael Cohen's uh, testimony today. So we live in this ongoing whirlwind. Oh, and speaking of wind, guys, I, I my, my heart goes out to those of you who I can't believe people are still without power. Jeez. <laughs> I mean, electricity, that is like, uh, you know, whenever you do lose it for any length of time, boy, do you become aware of, uh, of how much in every way we depend uh, upon it for everything, for absolutely everything. So I sure hope uh, if you're somebody who's still without that uh, you do get it back uh, today. Um, I don't know. I don't, you know, I will and I, and I can um, uh, talk a little bit about uh, Michael Cohen and what he has said. I, he's, all he's done is tell us what we, we knew, right? We just knew, like here, from his statement, Donald Trump is a man who ran for office to make his brand great, not to make our country great. Good line, good line. And true, you know that's true. He had no desire or intention to lead this nation, only to market himself and to build his wealth and power. And Anyone with a clear head knows that, in fact, to be a true statement. The thing that screwed up the whole grand scheme was the stupidity of the American voter who elected him. He didn't want to be in his dreams, kind of, but in reality, no. Did he want this? Because somewhere in the back of his head, he had to know, first of all, that he'd actually have to do stuff he didn't want to do, which is not something he's ever had to do, that he would have to, uh, well, I don't know if he would acknowledge that, but he, he didn't want this job. He liked Donald Trump just the way Donald Trump was. He just wanted to build the brand. The presidency has brought unwanted attention to him. And by his winning, ultimately, he will end up losing everything. And I don't think there's any doubt about that. He will lose. He's already lost his foundation. He will lose his char so-called charitable foundation. He will lose, essentially, I would think, his business. He might lose... family. He might lose his liberty. He might lose, obviously, his standing, lots of money. He stands to lose everything because he didn't figure on winning. 
And back to Cohen's testimony, he says, Mr. Trump would often say this campaign was going to be the greatest infomercial in political history. That's how he saw it. And then when the unthinkable happened and the people bought what he was selling, he turned the presidency into the greatest reality show in political history. And we can only imagine the damage, the lasting damage he is doing to the United States. Back to Cohen. He never expected to win the primary. He never expected to win the general election. The campaign for him was always a marketing opportunity. Well, sorry, Donald. Turns out, turns out, you you uh, you underestimated the stupidity or gullibility of the American people. Enough of them strategically placed. Because <laughs> they bought they bought it. And of course you had a great assist from the Hillary Clinton campaign that was not well run. Sorry. Not well run. The Trump Tower meeting. Michael Cohen says, I remember being in the room, probably in early June 2016, when something peculiar happened. Don Jr. came into the room and walked behind his father's desk, which in itself was unusual. People didn't just walk behind Mr. Trump's desk to talk to him. I recall Don Jr. leaning over his father and speaking in a low voice, which I could clearly hear, and saying, the meeting is all set. I remember Mr. Trump saying, okay, good, let me know. Um, later, Cohen says, what struck me as I looked back and thought about that exchange between Don Jr. and his father was, first, that Mr. Trump had frequently told me and others that his son, Don Jr., had the worst judgment of anyone in the world. I think that's pretty much been borne out. And also that Don Jr. would never set up any meeting of any significance <coughs> alone, and certainly not without checking with his father. He's got the check from Trump. 35000 paying them back for paying off Stormy. Wow. Well, this is going to be something. Um, I mean, he just... Flat out, he also says that he knew uh, Roger Stone had told him about the WikiLeaks uh, coming out with it. He knew all that, too. Um, I mean, we know. 
Cohen's finally coming clean, um, telling us what we've always known, that Trump is a con, ma a con man, that Trump is a cheat, that Trump is a liar, that Trump is a racist. I mean, come on, tell us something we don't know. So, um, I don't know. I think, I think this testimony will be difficult to watch because the Republicans on the committee are going to spend their time doing nothing but obviously protecting the, attempting to protect the president. Speaking of that, oh my, here's the damage the president has done to this country. We now consider it, I guess, normal for people in power to tweet. That did not used to be <laughs> the case. That is something that Donald Trump himself has done. And tweet in the most kind of despicable manner. Use of Twitter to belittle and intimidate And then you have uh, this repulsive congressman from Florida, Gates, Matt Gates, with his uh, tweet of yesterday, a clear attempt to uh, intimidate Michael Cohen. And, uh, I mean, surely you have seen that tweet, right? I mean, I can't imagine anybody not. It said this, hey, Michael Cohen, do your wife and mother and father-in-law know about your girlfriends? This is from a sitting member of Congress. Stop and think about this. Hey, Michael Cohen, do your uh, wife and father-in-law know about your girlfriends? Maybe tonight would be a good time for that chat. Uh, I wonder if she'll remain faithful when you're in prison. She's about to learn a lot. This is I don't know I, I mean what am I, I we're, we're, we're just saying the same shit we always say how low he's brought us and how the Republican Party has happily gone with him incredible I have not seen condemnation of his uh, tweet from Republican hierarchy. I've seen Nancy Pelosi take it on, and I've seen him since delete it and apologize. But um, I found out something I guess I didn't know about, you know, for everybody who's saying, hey, that is just flat-out attempt to intimidate uh, a witness in a, 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 federal, uh, a federal case. And I assume that, too. The guy, it's clear, I mean, the tweet was clear intimidation. Well, it turns out probably not. Because members of Congress, because they get to write the rules, members of, com uh, of Congress have, have, well, actually, this is in the Constitution, so they didn't write this one, they are covered under the speech or debate clause of the Constitution. 
and that grants members of Congress a real wide kind of latitude in um, what they can say uh, if the Congress uh, is in session, and it is. And I guess a lot of members of Congress have uh, avoided uh, criminal charges in the past uh, by hiding behind uh, the protection um, of that uh, congressional clause, I mean constitutional clause. I carry the Constitution everywhere I go, and um, I'm. If we had commercial breaks, I would definitely look it up, but I, 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 I don't. Um, so yeah, it's in here, and um, so any. Criminal uh, prosecution of this jerk for attempting to intimidate uh, a witness is extremely unlikely. Um, as one constitutional scholar uh, said, there are a lot of things that are reprehensible, but not criminal. Um, this is the same SOB, by the way, who I think brought a Holocaust denier to the. Um, State of the Union? This is the same SOB, Gates, who uh, got in a, an argument with the parents of murdered Parkland high school students uh, during, a, um, during a Judiciary Committee hearing. Gets in an argument with the parents of dead children and actually uh, tried to have them ejected from the hearing room. That is how despicable this Trump defender is. But what would one expect? Birds of a, a feather. So, I, I mean, given, by the way, if you're a Methodist, I'm sorry, if you're a Methodist who still has no power, I am really, <laughs> really sorry for you. And if you're a Methodist and you do have electricity, I'm still sorry for you because uh, it looks like your church may be the next to uh, come apart at the seams over the issue of gay people, whether they're good enough to serve as pastors and whether they're good enough to have their loving commitments called marriage. Uh, and if you don't know what I'm talking about, the United Methodist Church is the, the latest to uh, to actually vote to strengthen its ban on gay and lesbian clergy and also uh, same-sex uh, marriage. And the Methodists are the second largest Protestant denomination, just want to say. And here's, here's why that happened. I'm sure many of the Americans uh, who are at this uh, conference in St. Louis where the vote occurred 
um, are more progressive than a lot of the people attending this conference who are not in the United States. So there are a number, uh, you know, the churches, Christian churches, with their outreach and proselytizing, have sought uh, followers in um, Africa and Asia, and uh, some have, uh, yeah, acquired uh, quite a few uh, converts. The problem is, is in often in those in the in those cultures, homosexuality is absolute taboo. Right, they're a little bit not where we are in that regard, and so. I would think because these churches have gone global, they've also become more conservative in terms of their governance. Um, I would argue that that has happened in the Catholic Church as well, where European Catholics are dwindling in number, American Catholics are leaving the fold, and uh, African Catholics are stepping up. But um, Anyway, there you go. The Episcopal Church split over this. The Presbyterians have, I believe, split over this. You even have in evangelical circles, um, younger evangelicals causing um, mini rifts breaking away uh, over this issue of essentially are gay people humans? I don't know. What is, what is the issue? That's the issue? Gay people. I mean, you know, unbelievable. So anyway, again, to you Methodists, I'm, I'm sorry. Um <laughs> Here's a email from one of you and I She says as an older at home person I'm I turn I immediately turn the radio on when I wake up. Well, that makes you old. That is true. And that's normally around 8:30. And and since your sound on my computer was also inaudible, jeez, <laughs> oh, um, I would stay listening to the conversations on the big K, K-D-K-A-A-M. But she says with all caps, with the awful changes <laughs> at as if it could get worse, and it did, right, at KD. I am now back sitting about two inches from my laptop. Will you find some young person to jack up the volume? It, it, it doesn't make sense that you're having to do that. It doesn't. Somewhere in your settings or something, you, it just drives me crazy. There's no reason that you should have to sit with your ear to it. 
She says, the person who is now on KD from 10 to 2 sounds like a lovely person. Yes, she is. But her monotone voice puts me back to sleep, which I guess is not what she wants to do. Um, so the radio programming has changed, and so I have no listening habits, and now my radio is silent, and then maybe join a club and take up a new hobby. Who knows? Get someone to fix your computer audio. I swear. I swear. My guest coming in in a few minutes is um, of the world of theater. And you may have noticed that I seem to be heading in that direction uh, more and more myself. And I think one of the survival uh, tactics I have landed on in terms of not having the show always be about the horror, the nightmare uh, at 1600 Pennsylvania Avenue, um, is to talk about uh, the art of, of, of theater. And it's not like I have, even though I studied theater uh, for two years um, with a, one of the best teachers, I. I never myself was necessarily drawn to being a regular imbiber of of what is offered to us on on stage and again in my effort to be healthier to I I have been going out more and doing it and I got to tell you for me as the poor woman who is two inches from her laptop uh, says uh, maybe she should take up a club and uh, uh, join a club or take up a new hobby. Get yourself up and go off to theater. You know, I keep talking about the August Wilson Center, and I will till I'm blue in the face. They do so much amazing stuff. They really do. On my birthday, they had a thing called Poetry Unplugged. And it was all about spoken word and music from all kinds of different creative people around the country who used the work of Dr. Martin Luther King as, um, as inspiration. Um, so August Wilson, you can go there and actually, yeah, poetry unplugged, uh, but looking at poetic activism to honor Martin Luther King. This is stuff that, like, rather than hurts your head, which the news does, <laughs> it opens it, and 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 it's so wonderful. And I was just looking the. The, the August Wilson Center has a summer youth writers camp, and that'll be happening if you know, I mean that, that's happening this June, okay, for the second year in a row, and it, it's for middle and high school students who are into poetry, into theater, into writing and composing. And it's designed for them to grow that passion. 
August Wilson Center, I, 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 I hope I'm not annoying you with my newfound uh, passion for theater, but um, I just think it's, it's wondrous. Uh, okay, I'm getting more reports about the full volume. People still struggling a bit. Listen, while I was gone last week, they had, did I tell you this? They had some people in. They have suggested we uh, switch out certain equipment. Um, who the hell knows how long that's going to take, but w I want you to know that we're trying. <laughs> I don't know what else to say. Uh, you know, I, I was going to um, sh remind me tomorrow, maybe, to, to share this story of, of, of finding this in my suitcase um, on my way. I did not put this in my suitcase, but it was in my suitcase when I came home to unpack. And I have to tell you about uh, that story a little bit because I, I find it interesting say the least. Okay, well what the heck. Let's let's bring our, our, our guest in. Um, we run a loose ship here. Hang on. <laughs> Hang on. I'll be right back. Hey Sarah, come on. Um we'll get Sarah in here. Thank you, thank you. Uh, hello, hello, sit down. Um, and, you know, yeah, that chair will drop. I just okay, want you to know. I'm ready Ooh, for it. I'm okay, I down. don't want to startle you. <laughs> Ladies and gentlemen, you know, I didn't even ask how, it's Sarah Kosar? Sarah Kosar, okay, you've got okay, it. Okay, okay, I just wanted to make sure I was pronouncing it correctly. Yeah, no, appreciate uh, that. We've already looked at the Constitution, which has some troubling things in it, by the way. Mm. They call <laughs> them pesky. <laughs> That pesky First Amendment. Mm, mm. Yeah. Oh, America. Yeah. Oh, America. Happy to be back. Okay. <laughs> For so a brief time. <laughs> <laughs> this is what a playwright looks like. Right here. That is so cool. I was just Think. I was just pointing out that the August Wilson Center, and mm. if you lived here now when you were a kid, yeah. they have a, a writer's camp. Oh my gosh, that's amazing. For an entire week for middle school and high school kids. That's sick. Well, yeah, yeah. I love that. I love that. Yeah, I grew up in Pittsburgh coming here from Butler. Every week, three times a week, my mom drew, drove me down to CLO Academy doing singing, dancing, acting. But there really wasn't a lot for writing. Or no, maybe that I no, knew about. No, I don't think so. I, um, I went to Penn State and studied theater. And then I was trying to be an actor. But then it didn't quite work out. They were like, mm, you can't really do Shakespeare. You can't really do accents. But your improv's very weird. It's ah, very weird. Ah. Maybe there's something to play with there. Oh, is that what and it was? That's, and that's how I started writing. So you did improv. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Lots of my improvs were very strange. Very strange. And so, <laughs> and so people's... What do people say to you? You know that is you are so weird. Yeah, they're you like, oh, that's that quite absurd. That's quite funny. That's that's weird. Maybe you should try writing instead of acting. Because wow. I never quite fit into the right mold or the you know the right roles. I was not an ingenue. 
No. <laughs> You're no, not an ingenue. No, and you know what? I went to New York to be an actress oh, myself. New York. Oh, really? Back in the 70s. Oh, That's my gosh. I am. And I studied with the great Sanford Meisner at the neighborhood. That's place. incredible. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Oh my gosh. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. I didn't know you were an actor. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. I'm not. Well, well, <laughs> I mean, not. come on, look at but you now. A little out. bit. But see, little that's bit. what's weird. You go and try to do the acting thing and find out that in fact it's it's the writing of it yeah. that you want. I went to do the acting thing and found that I didn't like using other people's words. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I mean, that's also a big part of it, right? Like right. now thinking so. about it, it's like I can have so much more agency over my life, and I I am a person that has something to say. Not saying that actors don't have something to say, for sure, not at all. But, but. that was just something that I went, oh, that's what I need to do. That's what I need to do. Yeah. So, I mean, that our time spent being an actor was not time ill spent. Oh it my gosh. Fact, no, no. Oh it, my gosh. It, but it, it was part of the pathway to which I end up doing yap, 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 yap. And you end 100%. up writing plays. I know. I mean, I don't really think that there is a better training ground to be a full human person than theater. You know what? Uh, I, mean, I agree. Do you know what I mean? Yes. The skill I, set that you get from it is is really gold because you know how to listen to people. And, you and that is a skill. That is, if, if you're a good actor, yeah, yeah. you know how to listen. You know how to listen. And to not make assumptions and to be in the moment. and Understanding other people's points of view. And also getting to know yourself. 100%. Being self-reflective. Right. I found, really, those two years at the Neighborhood Playhouse, I, th I always said it was, it was like a psychoanalytic boot camp mm, in mm, some ways. Mm, it's rough. Mm. It's hard. It's, it's hard. hard. I have the greatest admiration. It's amazing to be so vulnerable and put yourself there continuously. It's, well, that's it's what incredible. I, I couldn't quite do yeah. it. I, couldn't, yeah. I could do it more as myself yeah. than I could in, in somebody else's skin. Couldn't do yeah. it. And they also said, Meisner said, you have to be willing to be private. Mm. In in mm. in public, absolutely, to be absolutely. And I thought, I don't think I can do that. Yes, yes, I agree with that. I agree with that. And I think that's for me writing. I'm always trying to look at what are the private moments, and I can do that on my own and really go inside and look at what am I trying to say and what are those private moments that I want to explore. But be doing that in public, like but actually like, being the actor ooh, who has ooh, to take your stuff ooh. and then. Own yeah. it. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You would yeah. find that more, much more difficult. Definitely. Me definitely. Too. I've just yeah. seen a run of Mumburger, which is opening on Friday, and Jesse and Ken, what they have done, and so vulnerable and so amazing and so hilarious. I mean, it is unbelievable. I am just in awe of them. Okay. This is the playwright <laughs> talking about the premiere, American premiere, yeah. of her play, Mumburger. <laughs> and... And I, uh, this is at Off the Wall production at the Carnegie Stage, which, by the way, is just a wonderful theater. I mean, I now count it among my favorite sort mm. of spaces and theaters. And Mumburger has not been produced here exactly. in the United States, yeah. although it has been produced in 
Yeah. In, in London. Yeah. So it had its world premiere at a place called the Archivist Gallery back in 2016. Uh, and then it transferred to the old Red Lion Theater in London in 2017. And then to have an American premiere of it, I mean, it is, I am like pinching myself, you know, coming over the bridge this morning with my mom driving in, you know, I was like, oh my gosh, you're 13 again, Sarah, you know, with that hope and that dream of like, oh my gosh, maybe I can be somebody and being able to come, come here and have it premiere here and like share it with my family and my friends that haven't seen a lot of my work because I moved to London about nine years ago is pretty phenomenal. And um, what's really wild is I had seen a show at Off the Wall um, when they were in Washington, PA, way back, I think it was in, in 2009 or 2010. So to be able to have my play on there now <laughs> is, is unbelievable. And so you were just, you, you just saw the play. I've just seen the run yeah, the, yesterday. Okay. And how does, is, so what is that like when, okay, so y you've seen actors in uh, England do mm. it, mm. and now you've got these two American actors yeah. doing it. Amazing British accents, I just have to say. Oh, they have to, oh, so they're, they have to yeah, do British accents. they're amazing. I was like, oh my gosh, I didn't even think about the accents until I left, and I was like, whoa, that was so natural. They're so great. It's amazing. Um, but yeah, it's, it's pretty it? wild to see, to now have seen three productions of it. Like, it's a real dream. It's like, it's like almost like having a child. I don't want to have children. <laughs> uh, and I really look at my plays as like my children. children. Yeah, and being able to see it grow and develop and new experiences of it and new interpretations is just unbelievable. And again, it goes back to that self-reflection of like, yesterday I was learning things about myself watching it that I'd never seen before. So who brings that? To, is it the director who does that? Is it the, the director and the actors? What, what, what it's, happens? It's, I mean, the words real, are written down, yeah, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, but well, uh, it's, it's a real effort of everybody. What Robin Parrish has done with the direction of it is phenomenal. Um, and what the actors have done and off the wall, Jenny supporting it. I mean, being in a theater that like supports female focused work, you know, that I would say is one of my biggest passions of like how to be, how to support other women, making sure women have agency over their lives, making sure that women have equality <laughs> and are being seen for our work yeah. and that we have a seat at the table to be a part of that mission is like, and let's make clear that that is what Off the Wall mm. is mm. is all about. Yeah, it's an all-female team on Mumberger as well, which is amazing. Well, you got a poor guy in the cast. <laughs> <laughs> How's he handling it? <laughs> He's great. He's great. He's great. Yeah. Yeah, it's pretty wild. Okay. So I have to tell you, yeah. I don't know if you can... Here. This is the script. So this is the oh, published play. Oh, this is play. the script. Okay, so it's published. Um, yeah. That is, disgust, that is disgusting looking. Definitely is. Um, this can, one's can a little bit see, nicer. Can you see the, yeah, that burger looks <laughs> cute. Yeah, the burger looks cute. As opposed to this that yeah. looks frightening. Yeah. Okay, so I just want to read one thing that um, off the, I don't know if off the wall is saying it, but, mm. but oh no, it's right there. Yeah. Yeah. The American premiere of Mum Burger, a surreal new play about grief, parenting, and alternative meat. <laughs> now. Normal, right? Yeah, right. Normal. That's what we all talk about every day. That's um, strange. Yeah. 
So yeah, you're a you're a weirdo. Yeah, I'm definitely a weirdo. But so it's the lens I see the world in. <laughs> but is it so for an average non-weird person, hmm. can they handle it? Hundred percent. Hundred percent. What I, the way I write plays, or the things that I like to do is like mm -hmm. what I call, or what Anthony Nielsen, an amazing playwright, says, is thoughtful entertainment. That anyone can see it on face value, totally get it, you're in it. But if you want to peel back the other layers or the metaphors of it, you can also do that. You can go deeper. You can go you deeper, it. but anyone's going to understand it. You know, um, should I tell you a little bit about what it's about? I, you tell me as much as you're willing to tell, because <laughs> okay, yeah. I'll give I'll give a little little hint, um, maybe a little bit more than a hint. Um, go for it. So it is about basically an eco activist vegan mother who's really passionate about climate change, and she suddenly dies in a car accident. And as a way to combat animal agriculture and climate change, she has her body turned into burgers. Oh dear God. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. So this okay, happens well, that, quite early on. Wow. Yeah, yeah. And it's a kind of meditation on grief and how do we digest grief literally oh. and metaphorically. <laughs> yeah, so it's normal. Yeah. <laughs> it's really so, normal. It's just like a little family drama. Yeah, you know, okay. You know. And the, the t there's two characters, right? Yes, the, the father the, and the, a daughter. The father and the daughter. So the, the husband of the... The yeah. burgers. <laughs> sure, sure. And the daughter. Yeah. So it's them handling this. Yeah, yeah. And it's quite funny, but it's also quite sad, you know. And for me, it felt like the most honest way to examine how far would you go for somebody you loved. And what is that obligation you have for somebody you love? After somebody passes, are you going to follow through with that dying wish? You know, actually, this is this is where it all came from. I'll never forget me, me and my husband sitting down, and I was like, okay, I'm looking for a metaphor to kind of examine this. What is it? And then I kind of got to this place of eating. Like, would you eat somebody you loved if that's what they wanted you to do? You know, normal conversation. And he was like, I would never do that. And I was like, excuse me? If I asked you to do that, you wouldn't do that for me? Don't you love me more than anything in the world? And he's like, yeah, but you wouldn't know. And it all really... Oh, like, so you'd be, you'd be a dead ground-up hamburger. How would you know if I... Yeah, yeah. But I'm like, but that doesn't so matter. It's like, how far would you go for that person if that's what they wanted? You know, so it, it's really kind of wrestling with all of those types of ideas. Um, yeah. And yeah. that hasn't... Uh, harmed your marriage at all? <laughs> no, it hasn't. <laughs> it hasn't. Um, so, yeah, so we got divorced the next week. Um, but, you know, you have to ask those questions. Um, no, no, he's great. <laughs> the, so, I'm just saying, and you're doing like a two-week run? Yeah, yeah, here? so it's from the 1st to the 16th of March. So it, it opens on Friday, okay. Friday at 8 p.m., Saturday at 8 p.m. It's sold out on Friday, so get tickets for Saturday, and then on Sunday at 3 p.m., and then for the following two weeks, Thursday to Sunday. Wow. Yeah. So that's a heck of a run. Yeah, it really is. And, guys, I keep telling you, you want to get away from Donald Trump? Mm. This is how, mm. you know, take in, take in other Mm. other aspects of, of, of life and, and force yourself out of your comfort zone. This sounds 100%. like it might do it. You know, for me, I always think about, you know, why I love writing for theater specifically is because we are so bombarded by, like, the world and media and our phones and everything going on, and it's so hard to escape. But I think in theater, 
you sit in a room. It slows you down. You s- it slows you down. It asks you. It demands you to be right. present. That's right. And I think that escapism is why I write. Do you know what I mean? Thinking about all the things we each can do politically and make change, I feel like what I can do is offer people a way to like zoom into the moment and not think about anything else but that. And just escape. And that is what it is. But, you know, I've been reading how people increasingly are incapable Mm. of sitting and being bored. uh, But they're not going to be bored if they go to bed. No, 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 no. But just sitting. They definitely can't do that. No. But they can't even sit and watch something. They can't focus anymore. And that's not going to get better. No, it's not. We're all like triple screening now. You know, I'm at home. I do it. I'm guilty of it. I'm not proud Aww. of it. But, you know, sitting at home, you got the TV on. Then you've got your computer here on your lap. Then you've got your phone texting as well. We need to just focus on one thing. you got to write about this. Yeah. You yeah, know, yeah, it's yeah. changing the way kids' brains are wired. We're, we're, like, becoming not less human. We're becoming scares me. I know. What are you working? I oh, I know what I saw you working <laughs> on. Just to get off Mumburger for a minute, which I have got to see. You have to. I do. will. Not to worry. Um, you're working on something called the Monica Lewinsky Project? Yes. Well, she, yes. you know, okay. What, what, yeah, what yeah, is yeah. that Yeah, about? that's really interesting. Uh, see, that's something I've been developing with this amazing Scottish director, Debbie Hannon. Uh, and we've been doing some R&D on it and starting to kind of develop it a little bit further. But I want to reframe Monica Lewinsky. I want to honor her as the patron saint of female shame. Literally, I want to do it in three acts. It's not necessarily her life story, but it's like, how did, who is she? How can we really give her the narrative she deserves? I think we all trampled on her. We and did. we need to say thank you to her. Yes. We need to understand I am so behind that. Um, So the whole third act, I think, is going to be actually a ceremony where we thank her. Because what she went through. And what she she continues to and all of her work. I mean, I just have the greatest respect for her. And I just really want to look at that story in a female gaze. I want women to tell that story as well. Because so often we've seen a lot about Monica, but it's been men writing about her. And it's time for women a woman, you know, this it. is just uh, another woman who was shamed and yeah, car- publicly cartoonized. Uh, is do you remember Lorena Bobbitt? Yes. Well, so funny. My mom said that to me last. Did night. she watch? Did there is a three, a four-hour. Oh. There's a four-hour documentary oh it's God, a I documentary out and boy it mm. turns it oh my upside God, I down and around and she is an amazing woman mm. and all at the time all any of us could do was think about his penis i know that was I the know. that was all it was the fact that he, she had been raped by him, beaten by him, didn't matter. His penis. So Where do we put the power? <laughs> like, why? Why? Wow. Oh, my gosh. Yeah. 
Yeah. So I'm I'm incredibly interested in feminist well, work, and that's you know that's kind of my my mission with what I'm writing about. Is it getting better? Tell me, it's getting better for women. I think you it, don't have to. I, but I mean, you know, I think truth. it is. I think it is, and I think it just has to be done on a micro level. You know, all of us women supporting women, men supporting women, like we just all need to make those active choices every single day. Um, I think it is getting better. I think it is getting better. I mean, <laughs> keep just, saying that. Just, yeah, keep saying. I think I, think, yeah, I, think I can. I, I think, think I, I can. can right? I think I can. Yeah, my I, um. There's no place like home. There's no place like home. Just exactly. Exactly. Um, My other play, which I've just finished, um, that was on at the Old Vic Theater in London, I was on um, a 12-month attachment with them as part of this thing called the Old Vic 12, is called Our Name is Not John. And it is about that there are more men running companies globally named John than the total number of women running companies. So it goes, all men named John, all men named David running companies, all men named Tim running companies. Oh, all women running companies, all men named da da da. It's true. I, and, I, I, you know, I remember that when that came out. It's unbelievable. Yeah. So, yeah, so this is a play kind of examining what are the structures that women build and facilitate for the patriarchy and how do we stop that and how do we become more aware of that. <sighs> yeah. And then I'm like, oh, yeah, there are a lot of Johns in my family, too. <laughs> my dad, my grandpa, my brother, my nephew, my father-in-law. Oh, And it was yeah. like, oh, yeah, this play isn't about you, just so you know. It's just everyone's named John that's in power. Well, you know, watching the Lorena Bobbitt thing, mm. what you realize is, is some of the people back then, and it was like 1994, mm. people are saying this is a mo- women... We will now see what uh, abuse in marriage is, and mm. there is such a thing as marital rape, and this is a learning opportunity. And I'm watching it, and I'm thinking, what did we learn? Here I we know. are in the Me Too I movement. Just, I mean, what? I know. I know. It's scary because it does feel like a lot of things have gone backwards. Totally backwards. Big time. Big time. Big time. Big Time. It's, it's just really like scary. elect a black person president, and you know what you'll get next? Donald fucking Trump. Mm. That's a ba- that was a I reaction know. as I well. Know. So why won't you live in the United States? <laughs> um, <laughs> so there's this man uh, named Donald Trump. Uh, uh, no, that uh, can't be it because I, you said is that it? I mean, that's part of it. That's uh, part of it. I mean, it's what Donald Trump means. It's Americans who exactly, elected him. Exactly. Exactly. And I Butler PA. I know. I know. I know. It's bad. It's really, really bad. It's incredible. When I was um, in London after the election, I had people like heard my accent and were like, "What the fuck have you done?" Oh. And I'm like. Like, I hear you. I didn't vote for him, but I hear I hear the anger, and I understand that that's how you feel about Americans now. You know that it's just like, how could this happen? But of course, you know things in the UK are obviously not going very well either with Brexit and every. You know, it's just again hate winning over love, and people kind of going back to fear. It's it's totally fear, fear. ignorance, and hate winning over people. Just not taking a moment to understand how other people might feel, how other people are more similar than different. I mean, how is this, like, these are very basic, basic things. What we were talking about at the beginning, you know, like, 
just think about other people. How do you, why, why are you so scared of other people? What that says to me is you're scared of yourself. <laughs> you're scared of reality. You're scared of reality. You're scared to be kind. I don't understand. <laughs> it's really well, depressing. You know, it's hard it's not really to, depressing. It, it, it's, it, it's hard not to become uh, uh, misanthropic. Mm, mm. It is for me. Yeah. I become yeah. more and more just finding humanity. Loathsome in so many ways. I mean, I know that that's too big a statement, but uh, I our worst that. selves are so much on display. I know, these days. I know, I know, I know. And so many people that I talk to, you know, with the Brexit conversation, with the Trump conversation, is like how to deal with people that you love and people that you know than feeling this way, and how can you separate that? You know, and those choices of whether to have those conversations or not have those conversations. But if we don't have those conversations on a personal level, then how do we think things are going to get yeah. better on a bigger level? Exactly. And I, I'm one that I feel like you should go head to head. You have As to. long as you start the debate and start the conversation to say, listen, when you speak, I'm going to just breathe. And I'm just going to try to listen to you and just focus on my breathing rather than what I'm going to say back to you. And maybe we can, and maybe we can just all say, hands up. I, we've all got blind spots. Maybe we can both learn something here. I mean, th I know that that's quite optimistic, but you know, it doesn't always work out that way. Most of the time, not. But just, I think, just taking that time. Like, why can't we just listen? Well, there's too many forces working uh, I know. Ag against that. I mean, I well. <laughs> okay, we're just gonna go off and shoot ourselves. That's what we're gonna do. <laughs> But first, you got to see Mumberger. Yes. At uh, it, seriously, so people can get tickets at insideoffthewall.com. Uh, sold out on opening night on Friday, but come along on Saturday or Sunday or all next week, um, Thursday to Sunday next week, and Thursday to Sunday the following week. And yeah, come say hi. Would love to say hi to Pittsburgh folks. So happy to be here. It's uh, it's in Carnegie. A hop, skip, and a friggin' so jump. close. Yeah, I mean so it's close. ridiculous. Um, and you know, just get up at the Carnegie exit, and then it's right there on Main Street. And it's delightful that little, that, you know. I love that it? little town. It's yeah. so nice. Such great restaurants. Such great. Stuff. Are there great restaurants yes. there? Love them. Like around love the theater. Them. So you yeah, can yeah. Go to one thirty-one. I've just been to. Delicious. Incredible. So. Come Get along, to know for sure. Broaden your horizons. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I, I I sound like I'm wrapping up, and I'm not. We're not done. <laughs> <laughs> great. Great. Let's no. keep talking. Let's see. What did I? Okay. So. You don't ha you know, most people who go, you, you get a little British accent. I know. So I how know, come why you don't ha I have it? Well, maybe you're too so strong in who you are, but you don't. Do you know what's really funny, though? When I was growing up, I was obsessed with the Spice Girls. Now, people say they're obsessed with the Spice Girls, but they haven't met me. <laughs> uh, and I used to talk in a British accent, a very bad British accent. I mean, I would literally be in school. I mean, this is so embarrassing. Let's just tell the world. Uh, and everyone would do the Pledge of Allegiance. This is what school? Let's yeah, at school. No, no, what, let's place the school you uh, were Butler, in. Butler, you know. What was the name? Butler Catholic, Butler Catholic. Butler That's Catholic. where I was. I want to see. And I was, you know. Little and everyone Sarah. Was, little Sarah Kosar. Everyone was doing the Pledge of Allegiance, and I, I wouldn't stand up. 
And they would say, Because you were a monarchist? What? (laughs) I'd be like, what you talking about? I'm British? And they were like, no, Sarah. Ah! No, No, Sarah. Like, we know you were born here. And I'm like, were my girls in the UK? I'm not with them. What am I going to do it? I mean, I, why am I doing that accent? It's so, so bad. You didn't, it's so bad. You didn't do so an I upper class accent. I, I know, I know, I know. I was like doing the Cockney. Um, and I was like, no, I'm British. And I just loved, loved, loved the Spice Girls going up and I would talk in that British accent. So it is like <laughs> no surprise that I ended up in London. But it is shocking that I still don't have an accent. And I want the accent so bad. But I think I'm just... Did you marry a Brit? Again, a huge mistake of my life. No, just, hey, Sam. Uh, no, I said no, that to him. He, 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 he is American. Oh, he's American. Uh, he's American. Uh, oh, wait. that. So it's not easy <laughs> to be an American to, and work in yeah. Great Britain. It's and really I see that you, this is so British to me, <laughs> she gets to be doing what she does, like at the old Vic Theater in, in London and all this all this <laughs> stuff she does over there because she is the recipient of get this here's what it's called exceptional promise in playwriting visa <laughs> are you it's kidding true, me it's true it's crazy it's crazy it's crazy yeah so they don't mind some uh you know, foreigners coming in no you, you no, obviously no. are okay because you're yeah. an acceptable exceptionally promised. I mean, it's crazy. It's is such that a, really? So that's why you're able cra- to... Yeah, that's why I'm there right well, now. Well, yeah. how long does that last? So that's for five years. So that's finishing up in July 2020 next then year. And happens? then I'll be able to get indefinite leave to remain and hopefully get dual citizenship. So that's the dream. That's the dream. But that's their judgment call, right? Yes, but it should be fine as long as, please don't change the rules. Please don't change the rules. Because as long as they stay as they are right now for you. Because I thought, because they would say, wait a minute, we've got British playwrights here. What do we need you, I Americans, know, for? I know. It's crazy because um, basically um, a few amazing theaters petitioned for me to be able to stay and wrote letters to the government. And you had to have a certain number of credits and reviews oh, and publications. Oh, oh, wow. And I somehow made that. Um, and that's how I'm there right now. But I've had loads of different visas. I've been there 10 years now um, and luckily was able to get that one. And then, yeah, and working full-time alongside playwriting as well. Um, so, yeah. And your husband? He is my dependent. So my <laughs> <laughs> Talk about feminism, right? Uh, my, my visa says talent and his says dependent. Um, he's amazing. He's amazing and so supportive. Is he able to find work? Yes, 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 yeah. He he works at, um, Uniqlo, which is uh, a Japanese clothing company, which is really big in Europe, but I think there's a few in New York, but, um, yeah, he works there in merchandising and allocation. (laughs) He's amazing. (laughs) Did, did you guys meet here and go there together, or did you, I'm sorry, this is getting very personal. No, 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 it's fine. Um, so I met him actually first year of university. Uh, when I was at Penn State, State. and we dated very briefly for a few weeks, and then I dated another person for three and a half years, and then he broke up with me, and I was like, well, I'm not dramatic, so I was like, I can't be in a country with a man that doesn't love me, so then I was like, oh my gosh, I want to try to make it in theater and playwriting, I was like, let me try to go to London now, so then I went to London, studied abroad there, and then came back for my very last year of Penn State, before I went back to like move there properly and I ran back into Sam after not seeing him for three and a half years 
and we reconnected and dated for like eight and a half months and we got engaged and then he said yep i'm moving with you oh how wonderful yeah crazy 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 so it worked out okay it worked out very well very well but yeah got married young and yeah he's been so supportive and been really clear of like this is the dream like let's do it oh how wonderful yeah yeah so there are good guys. You know, all we see in the news mm. is men behaving badly. I've been squawking about it I for know, some time. I know, I yeah. know. They're the worst. Sam, see? They're but Sam, Sam is the best. We love Sam. And we know, I know personally some of you guys do. You're okay. Yeah. yeah. I have a Sam, my son. I, oh, he's amazing. good. He's good. Yeah. We are out of time. Sarah, what a pleasure. I will definitely joy. be coming to Mumburger even though I'm coming with the full knowledge that it's about the woman who had herself ground up in. Let's just say you're not going to forget it and you're going to have fun. <laughs> Eat beforehand. Eat beforehand. Oh, I don't, oh, I guess that would be true. Yeah, yeah, but yeah. I, I, yeah, but you could lose it or something. Okay, okay. Mum Burger at, uh, you can get it, tickets at insideoffthewall.com, yep. right? Or just, you know, look up off the wall. Look up Mumberger. Uh, we'll stick something on our my Facebook page, okay? And, uh, hey, she gets a special, you know, special visa to stay <laughs> in England, which has a history of great knowing great playwrights. Mm. I just want to mm. say. Yeah, having, yeah, that's why having, I went there. Yeah, having seen a Shakespeare play this last weekend, I they know playwrights, and they say that our... <laughs> We're still claiming you. Our Sarah Kosar from Butler, for God's sake, is exceptional. Thank you. Oh, Thank it's you so, so much for having me. I am looking forward <laughs> to seeing it. I hope I see you there too, okay? All right, go back to watching Michael fucking Cohen. Bye. <laughs>